You know what will keep you warm in the great white north? A little true crime with your host, Megs and Jess. Hello, Canadian true crime fans. I am your host, Jesse, a.k.a. Jess, a.k.a. Mittens, <laughs> a.k.a. Turtle. <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of other names. I really answer to anything. This is my fabulous partner in crime, Megan, a.k.a. Megs, a.k.a. <laughs> queen of everything. <laughs> yeah. I'll agree with that. <laughs> At least I try. Well, Megan and I took a unpaid sabbatical this summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the, the world of true crime podcasting. I mean, my kids were home for the summer. We got our new puppy. You were moving. Mm-hmm. Right? It's been a it's hot, a, hot minute summer and a hot and summer. A, yes, a very hot summer. I mean, Edmonton and Vancouver, like, our temperatures were crazy. Usually, you had it and then we had it. Like, it's like right? kept reversing. I know. So today it right. feels... Today's is definitely a wee bit toasty, but at least the smoke left us today. It was bad the last two days from Mm -hmm. the fires burning in BC, but today is nice. We have a breeze. Thank goodness. We also have gotten the smoke down here too. It is, it's amazing how, how bad it is. But I mean, I'm glad we had a chance to go on vacation. We came to see you. That was fun to be able to hang out, right? (laughs) That was awesome. So, yeah, I mean, we took the summer off, but now we're back at it. We're back. Fall is right around the corner. You know what that means? Like scarves, boots, pumpkins, pumpkin spice lattes. Oh, I can't wait. Pumpkin spice lattes. And this is my first fall in Vancouver in, you know, almost 12 years. So I'm so excited for the colors. I've missed that in L.A. Fall is, is one of my favorite seasons, truthfully. I love it. I mean, yes, I love summer, but I love fall. Me too. There's, I'm a real fall person, so I'm glad we're back at it now. Listener discretion is advised. This episode talks about triggering topics such as murder. It is not recommended for young audiences. While we are not detectives or journalists, we'd like to thank the real journalists and detectives that worked on this case and researched the facts so we could research the information and share the story with our audience. All victims deserve a voice, so let us begin. Today's episode is about the tragic murder of Alicia Ross. Alicia was born February 8th, 1980 in Markham, Ontario. She was adopted immediately after birth by Sharon Fortis and Marvin Ross. They absolutely adored their beautiful baby. Sharon said her daughter had the most beautiful blue eyes she had ever seen. She could always tell if she was upset or if she had been laughing so hard she cried because they would turn a bright green color. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was sweet. As a baby, she had the cutest, chubbiest face anyone had ever seen. Her family has always said that, you know, that blonde hair, chubby cheeks, and those blue eyes is a picture that will always stay engraved in their minds. When Alicia was only three years old, her baby brother, Jamie, joined the family. He would become Alicia's best friend and confidant. The two of them shared a love for canoeing. They had many adventures of tripping together. Have you ever heard of this? No, what's tripping? It's when I looked it up, it's like expedition canoeing from what I could find. Campers will carry, you know, supplies in their canoes and they kind of, you know, canoe along and then they'll make various stops where they can camp out. Basically, probably... basically like the movie Deliverance. <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounds lovely. It's probably something I'm never going to yeah, do, but it's, it sounds nice. 
Alicia was quite an accomplished young woman at just 25 years old. She was a camp counselor at Camp White Pine. She loved traveling the world. She had already been to Israel, Australia. She canoed the Amazon River. Oh, wow. That's impressive, right? She was quite an athlete. She was a kickboxer. She played guitar. She dreamed of going on the amazing race. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia had also graduated from Concordia University. She got a degree in geography. With her future looking so bright, she also had her share of heartache. When Alicia was a teenager, her birth father committed suicide. Her high school sweetheart, Greg Rogers, had been killed in a horrible car accident. Her parents also did split up when she was a kid. But from everything that I could read, the family still remained close. When Alicia was 11 years old, her mother remarried a man named Julius, and Marvin remarried to a woman named Anna. With those marriages brought additional siblings, seven in total. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was quite the blended family, and everyone really got along. They were, you know, people said they were really just like the Brady Bunch. On Tuesday, August 16th, 2005, 25-year-old Leisha was the happiest she had ever been. She lived in the basement of her mother and stepfather's house. It had a separate entrance, so she loved it because she felt like she still had her own space. And that evening, Alicia and her mom went for a walk in Pomona Mills Park with their two dogs, Frasier and Woody. <laughs> I like those names. <laughs> I'm, gu- I'm guessing, like, remember the show Frasier? Mm-hmm. That was so popular back then. And maybe Woody from, like, either... Toy Story. Or Cheers. I mean, oh, that's Cheers. all. So that's, that's oh, back they, a while. Yeah, and Frasier used to be on the show Cheers. Kelsey yeah. Grammer. So maybe, yes. maybe they liked maybe. both those shows. Well, they were two standard poodles, two white standard poodles. They're really cute. Alicia felt like a promotion at work was also coming her way, and she was telling her mom all about it. She had a sales job at a company called Hewlett Packard. Mm-hmm. Her love life was also going very well. She had started dating a man named Sean Hine for over a month. She told her mom the relationship was going in the right direction, and her mother could see she was really happy. Later that evening, Alicia's boyfriend, Sean, came over to her house. They hung out in the basement. They shared a bottle of wine. You know, they played some pool, and they burned songs on CDs. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I miss those days. <laughs> Me too. It was so fun to create CDs for friends and right? stuff. Well, and I used to do that when I was completely broke. <laughs> and that was, I'd like burn CDs for friends and, you know, Christmas different gifts. mixes for them. Yeah. yeah it was when you, when you stole the music from Napster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I forgot about that. Yeah, right. Oops. Oopsie. <laughs> Sean said he left just before midnight. Alicia walked Sean outside to his car where they said goodnight to each other. He said he got in his car and he drove away. And he could see Alicia standing on the driveway just outside her house. He said they had really such a nice evening together that he decided to call her again and say goodnight, which is sweet. He said he called a few minutes after he left and rang her cell phone, but she never picked up. He said he thought it was a little weird, but thought maybe... You know, she was either getting ready for bed or she had crawled into bed really quickly because she did have to work the next day. Sharon and Julius were also both home that evening. Sharon said the last time she saw her daughter, it was around 11 o'clock. She came down to the basement to get her black handbag that Alicia had been using. Alicia handed the bag to her mom and said, thanks for sharing, mommy. Yeah. Sharon said goodnight to her daughter and went upstairs to bed. She did not know that would be the last time she saw her daughter. 
The next morning, Sharon and Julius left for a golf tournament. Alicia's car was still parked in the driveway, and they assumed she must have just maybe overslept a little bit and was running a little late for work, as you do when you're 20. (laughs) (laughs) I was always (laughs) speeding off to work. Sean tried to call Alicia in the morning. He still got no answer, so he tried to call her direct line at work and didn't get through to her. So he decided he'd call the main line at Hewlett-Packard. When he did, he found out Alicia never showed up to work and that she also never called in, which was not like her. Sean called the police right away to report her missing. He then did call her parents after he filed the report, and that also raised some eyebrows. Why would you call her parents first? Right? Like, I mean, Or stop yeah. by her house and knock on the door. That, yeah, that, that is really strange to me because if you can't get a hold of somebody, the first thing you're going to do is call the people that they live with. Yeah. So she lives with her parents. Call, give them a call and say like, hey, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, that that is, I thought, was a little odd too. Once Sharon and Julius got the news Alicia was missing, they, of course, returned home to find their home was swarming with police. The basement where Alicia lived in looked actually quite normal. There was nothing to suggest that a struggle had happened. Her purse, keys, cigarettes were still at home, which is something she would never leave without. Her jewelry was beside the sink, which her mom said that she always would take her jewelry off before bed and then wash her face, which, I mean, that's my routine too. too. Mm -hmm. That seems like nothing out of the ordinary. Clean laundry lay folded on her bed as if she was going to go to, as if she was going to put it away before she went to bed. And the bed was still made, Mm. which indicated she probably hadn't slept in it. In the backyard, the cops found Alicia's shoes, a glass, and a cigarette. And the gate was also wide open. Which I'm kind of wondering if she had maybe gone inside, started to get ready for bed, and then, you know, was like, oh, I'm just going to go outside for one last smoke before bed. Yeah, maybe. I mean... I mean, I grew grew up with smokers, and that's something they... Yeah, they... To be honest, they, they did that. And it was August, so it was probably still a warm summer's night. You know, go sit outside. Her car also still remained parked on the driveway. Mm. Mm-hmm. The only people home that night were Sharon, Julius, and Julius's 32-year-old daughter, Randy. She was also staying at the house. All three of them said they didn't hear or see anything, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Days passed, and there was still no word about Alicia. They, of course, have or had already started a huge search party for her. However, on August 19th came such a huge rainstorm that it actually completely halted the search for her. Ontario called it one of the most expensive rainfalls because of all the damage it had caused. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, sadly, would have also tampered with any undiscovered evidence that was maybe outside. Police strongly felt that her abduction was done by someone she knew. The police also towed her car away to conduct an extensive search on, but they found nothing. Her boyfriend, Sean, was questioned very early on since he was the last person to have seen her. Suspicions around him arose quite quickly. His timeline seemed a little off to the police. Police were wondering why he had filed a missing persons report before he had even spoken to her parents, like we just talked about. And I mean, Sean and Alicia's relationship was also fairly new. They had only been dating for a month. Which is also... that she disappeared. Which I find mm-hmm. is also interesting, the fact that he would call a missing persons report. It's like, you've only been dating a month. How well yeah. do you know that person, really? 
Well, and he, he had told some reporters that he loved her and he was planning on proposing to her the next year. Which kind of seemed like an odd thing to say. I can see... I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's people who have fallen madly in love with each other quite quickly. But you're going to know you're going to propose in a year from now? Like, how do you know how you're going to really feel in a new relationship in a year from now? Yeah, exactly. If Even if he would have said, like, oh, I've totally fallen in love with her and I see things going in the right direction. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just me. No, I mean, we're women. That's me, too. (laughs) We're women. We overanalyze these things. After some time, Sean also refused to cooperate with police when he was asked to take a polygraph test. He refused. So that's kind of a hard one for me. I mean, do you think when someone refuses to take a polygraph test, that's a huge red flag that, like, are they guilty of something? It. I mean, it's hard to say because sometimes, you know, I think I feel like I've said this before, like with polygraphs, like it all depends on your, you know, your heart rhythm and your beating and are you anxious and nervous because you can totally cheat that like a polygraph test or because there's people who have, you know, failed polygraphs tests who have been innocent. And then there's people that are guilty, but if, you know, if they said their polygraph test was clean, so who knows? And, um, yeah, advice from the lawyers probably too, or something as well. It's hard to say, but I would, I mean, personally for me, I think I would, I don't know. I think I would want to just do it and be like, okay, here you go. But you know, if they asked me like, yeah. did you steal candy when I was eight? I'd be like, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'd fall, I'd fail any polygraph test just cause I, <laughs> I'd be so nervous about it. Even if you're, you know, they're asking me questions about my gardening and cooking skills. I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. I'm nervous. I, I feel like I'd fail, but yeah, you know, he totally could have been advised by a lawyer, like not to take one. Mm-hmm. The media really did target him as the main suspect. The police even went to the neighborhood that he lived in and went door to door. And they were asking questions about Sean. They, you know, were saying like, Hey, does this guy act strange? Does anything seem out of the ordinary? They really wanted to know. I mean, and everyone acts differently under pressure under pressure or in stressful situations, like guaranteed. But things were not looking good for him. However, on September 25th, there was a huge crack in the case that just completely shocked everyone. A neighbor who lived right next door, who was 31-year-old Daniel Sylvester, called the police to let them know that he had accidentally killed Alicia. No. Mm Mm-hmm. The police had, in fact, interviewed him when Alicia disappeared, but he told police he had not seen or heard anything, and they just left it at that. Daniel had decided to call in and tell authorities what happened because he felt guilty about Alicia's boyfriend being targeted. He said he could not handle an innocent man going to jail. Wow. So Daniel was known, he was known as a loner. He was 31 years old, and he had never held a job. He had anxiety about going out in the daytime, so he would go out at night, driving his mom's car till all hours of the night, sometimes even sometimes even wearing night vision goggles. Oh my god, that's so creepy. Yeah. Well, that's because he was a peeping Tom. Lovely. So, I mean, he was known to have a mental illness, and he did recently go off his medication. When Daniel was confessing to police about Alicia's murder, he told police that he had originally dumped Alicia's remains in a wooded area in Manila, Ontario, near his family's cottage. And then after a while, he started to get nervous. And he said about three weeks after the murder, he moved her remains to another location in Kobokonk. Oh, jeez. He also 
Uh, yeah, he also admitted to going to visit her remains several times. So the police were able to locate her remains. Oh, this case is horrible. They were able to locate her remains exactly where Daniel said. And this is what he said happened that night. He said he saw her on the walkway out of, outside her house. He said he startled her and she yelled at him, quote unquote, part of my language. What the fuck are you doing here, loser? Daniel said that with all the years of bullying, he just snapped. He slapped her across the face and they, they fought falling to the ground. He started to smash her head against the sidewalk until she stopped moving. Daniel said that he then panicked and dragged her body into the garage so he could clean up any blood on the sidewalk and go take a shower. He also told police he never raped her before or after she died. He put her in his mom's car and then he drove her out to Manila, Ontario, where he originally dumped her remains. The evidence the forensic team found didn't quite match his story either. There were bits of remains found at Manila and Cobalconk locations, but in total there was only about 11 pounds of remains left. So, What did he do with had, the rest of it? Well, it had already been six weeks. Oh, I see. Right? So the, it had been a while. The Toronto Sun did issue an apology to Alicia's boyfriend, Sean Hine, for pointing the finger at him. I mean, it was easy to believe in the beginning that he possibly had something to do with it. He was the last one to see her. I mean, in a lot of cases, they do look at the, you know, mm -hmm. the spouse, the significant other. Alicia's funeral finally took place October 7th, almost two months after her murder. And she grew up in a Jewish family. So it's custom to bury the body within 24 hours, you know, after somebody has passed. And her family not only had to grieve her tragic murder, but they were not able to do that. Mm. That was hard for them. Over 1,500 people attended her funeral. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It was a huge turnout. Actually, I went to a funeral once. It was for somebody who was much who was younger as well. And the pastor at that funeral was just talking with me, and he said that when somebody young has died tragically, the turnouts for the funeral are always just huge. He said, like, complete strangers will attend just because it's just so devastating. You know, they feel like that person's whole life was still ahead of them, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Sharon's eulogy for her daughter was heartbreaking. This is what she said. She was an adorable and good baby, a precious toddler, a blossoming preteen, and a terrible, terrible teenager. <laughs> Teen years were filled with rebellion, adventure, the birth of her no-fear attitude for life, and a fierce loyalty to friends and family. This was the beginning of her growth into a spirited yet warm and understanding woman. She finished the eulogy with a lullaby and said, Good night, my sweet child, in Hebrew. Once Alicia's remains were examined, it was found her injuries were far worse than what Daniel described happened that night. She had what they could see. She had 33 fractures that were found on her skeletal remains and mostly to her rib cage. Two of her nasal bombs were broken, which would not have been caused by a slap to the face. That kind of injury would have had to have been caused by a closed fist. So she would have been punched in the face. Her breastbone was completely split in half and her vertebrae in her neck 
was broken in different places. Her injuries were comparable to someone who was in a fatal car crash or a plane crash. Wow. Mm-hmm. So trigger warning on the next part. It's, it's a difficult one. Even though Daniel claims he had never raped her, his semen was found on pieces of her clothing. He also claims the only reason semen was found on her clothing was after he disposed of her body. He still had some of her clothing on him, which he said he had to masturbate in order to calm himself down after committing the murder. That was quite disturbing to read, and uh, Such a, that's so, it's hard. Yeah, that's it's so. hard with these. It's hard with these cases because there's so many times I want to leave things out, but it tells the whole story. Well, it shows him as a person, totally. Oh, one hundred percent. And where his his mind is. In July of 2007, Daniel Sylvester's trial for the second-degree murder of Alicia Ross began. As far as everyone remembers, Daniel and Alicia never even knew each other. They had been neighbors for seven years, but that was about it. Daniel had admitted to psychologists that he had horrible thoughts of jumping out of a bush and raping women, which I believe to be true. A defense-appointed shrink also said that Daniel said Alicia was quote, a very pushy and inconsiderate. He didn't like the way she stared at his elderly mother two weeks prior to the murder. Just like he also said, you know, she called him a loser when he startled her. I mean, he's just, he's trying to make himself sound like the victim in all this as well. Exactly. I mean, she could have, if she probably, maybe she knew he was a bit of a peeping Tom. So for her to say that probably wasn't totally out of context. Well, the defense team was hoping for a conviction of manslaughter, but that didn't happen. The jury took only three hours and 45 minutes to find Daniel Sylvester guilty of second-degree murder with an automatic 25 years, with an automatic 25-year life sentence. Alicia's mom said she never believed Daniel's story and always felt like it was very well rehearsed. I mean, and on the flip side, maybe, yeah, she did call him a loser because exactly, you know, she saw him creeping around the house. Maybe he had his goggles on, and who wouldn't be creeped out by that? I mean, like I said, I, I truly think she was sitting outside before bed. and Well, especially with the wine glass and the cigarettes. They were sitting, like, on the porch where she would normally. But interesting that the maybe he came in the yard, too, because interesting that the back door was open, too. Like, the gate. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He was peeping on her. I mean, let's be honest, he was stalking her. Right. That's what it is. I mean, in the end, no one will ever know exactly what happened. And tragically, this, it won't change the outcome of this story. When he was sentenced to life in prison, he also was given a chance of parole after 16 years. Oh, wow. This is 2007. So that's... He will be eligible for parole this year. Wow. So I did research and I could not find anything that talked about the parole hearing so i'm assuming that with COVID, it has been pushed back i mean that has happened with many cases and many things there is a petition on change.org they are advocating against the parole hearing altogether mm. so i will post that on our instagram page and sign on that our petition stories. yeah exactly let's not see this guy get out we, you know, we see in many cases, they go unsolved. Families never know what happened to their loved ones. I mean, I'm glad to see Alicia's family got to see justice for her. Mm -hmm. And I just hope this guy never gets out. Sharon said during the trial 
that people told her, oh, you know, you don't have to go to court every single day. You have been through enough. And she said, no, I am going. She said, Alicia was my baby and I will be there for her. Aww. Her parents. So please go to our Instagram page at Great White North Crimes. You can also find us on Facebook at True Crimes in the Great White North. You can also email us about this case or any other case or any case you would like us to cover at truecrimesgwn at gmail.com. Please also don't forget to follow us, like and share. Please leave us a review if you enjoy our little podcast. It's the only way to keep us going. Also, a big thank you to all those who have listened to our podcast. We just hit 5,500 downloads. That completely blows my mind. <laughs> like, I remember when we hit 50 downloads. <laughs> and I pretty much knew who, who all those people were because I we had begged family and friends to please <laughs> go listen to us. You can see pictures of this case on our Instagram. Alicia was as beautiful as everyone has described her to be. So you can go and see all those pictures. And thank you for listening. Thanks for that story. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. Till next time, true crime fans. Good night. I hope people remember her. Not so much the case. I get worried sometimes that people will forget you know, to not um, mention a person or reminisce about a person almost negates their existence. And it, it gives me a feeling of warmth when a mother or a grandmother will say to me, oh, my grandson went to camp with Alicia. He said she was the best tripper because she was a, an expert canoeist. And, oh, I love hearing stories like that, that people remember her and remember her well. Why she grabbed the province's heart, I, I don't know. I think people said to me, she's everyone's daughter. Mm-hmm.